The most important lesson that I learned in seminary at Sewanee came from my professor of New Testament, Dr. Paul Holloway. It came during one of our weekly chapel services at which Dr. Holloway was the faculty preacher for the day. He was preaching on the importance of scriptures in our lives, and at one point in the sermon, he said to the congregation of seminarians gathered together, he said, if your view of scripture is so high that it puts down, belittles, denigrates or ostracizes another person or a group of people, then you're reading scripture incorrectly. I'll read that again so that it can sink in. If your view of scripture is so high that it puts down, belittles, denigrates or ostracizes another person or a group of people, then you are reading scripture incorrectly. I was thinking about Dr. Holloway's lesson from my seminary days as I started to read the passage appointed for today. We're in Mark's gospel account where we'll be for many weeks to come, and we're reading about two back-to-back encounters that Jesus has with some of the religious authorities of his day, the Pharisees. The Pharisees, as you all will remember, were one of the main religious sects of Judaism during the time of Jesus. Much of their system of beliefs stemmed from trying to expand and apply Jewish law beyond just the temple to one's daily activities. And the reason for doing this was because they were trying to help their fellow Jews think of every part, every act of their lives as as sacred and holy, a worthy goal, I think. So to the reading for the day, our text says that Jesus and his disciples are walking through a grain field and they begin to pick some of the heads of the grain to eat because they are hungry. The Pharisees and Jesus has already encountered these religious authorities earlier in the second chapter of Mark. The Pharisees see what they are doing and they begin to raise a complaint, letting Jesus know that it is unlawful for them to do any work on the Sabbath, the day of rest. Jesus responds by sharing a story about King David doing something seemingly even more sacrilegious, that is, eating food set apart only for the priests in the temple, to try to remind the Pharisees that sometimes the law must give way to the needs of the people. The Pharisees do not agree. And then immediately after that incident, Jesus makes his way into the synagogue and meets a man whose hand was withered and who wants to be healed. The Pharisees watch on again to see if Jesus will heal this man on the Sabbath, an unlawful act, and so Jesus engages them first. Is it lawful, Jesus says, to do good or to do harm on the Sabbath, to save life or to kill? What he's really asking, I think, is Would he really be dishonoring the Sabbath and dishonoring God by helping another person in need? Our story ends with Jesus healing the man, and the Pharisees go away incensed and begin plotting about how they will, as the text says, destroy Jesus. There's a lot packed into these 12 verses that we hear today, but I I think that they can both be summed up by Jesus' pronouncement midway through the reading. The Sabbath was made for humankind and not humankind for the Sabbath. Sabbath was meant to be an opportunity to rest, a chance to stop, a time in which one could connect and reconnect not only with God, but also with each other. That's what Sabbath is all about. It's about connecting again to that which is most important to us, God and each other. 
The commandment to keep the Sabbath, number four of the Ten Commandments, is the longest of them all. We heard it read just a few minutes ago by Powell from the book of Deuteronomy. Observe the Sabbath day and keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You shall not do any work. And it's not just meant to be a a day of rest for us, but also for our children, for those who work for us, for the animals, the plants, for the the very fruits of the earth. Sabbath is meant to be a rest for all of God's creation. Abraham Heschel, the rabbi and biblical scholar, wrote in his great little book, The Sabbath, that to the biblical mind, the Sabbath as a day of rest, as a day of uh, as a day of abstaining from toil, is not for the purpose of recovering one's strength and becoming fit for more work. The Sabbath, he said, is a day for the sake of life. Sabbath is for the sake of life. We can see then why Jesus was so indignant with the religious leaders when they challenged him for eating and healing on the Sabbath day. Their high view of the scriptures, the law, which said no work on the Sabbath, had caused them to forget that the real purpose of Sabbath is not simply to stop all work, but to stop that which does not promote life, that which does not bring us together. Sabbath is for the sake of life. I'll go so far as to say that I think we need in this country a Sabbath time. We need a rest. We need to stop. We need to stop those things that don't help us to connect with God and to connect with each other. We're living in such a fractured time when every day we hear stories about how we don't seek connection with each other, but rather seek to hurt and malign and abuse each other. Just think of the disturbing things said this week by Roseanne Barr or Samantha Bee. It would be sad if those were isolated events, but we know that in the days to come we will hear more about mud being slung at each other, not for the sake of building up, but for the sake of tearing the other down. Maybe my seminary professor's axiom could be applied to our national life as well. If your view of political party is so high that it puts down, belittles, denigrates, or ostracizes another person or a group of people, then you're doing it wrong. We need a rest in this country, a rest from the anger, from the hostility, from the demagoguery, a rest from the hate that pushes us further apart rather than bringing us closer together. One of my heroes in the faith is the late Will Campbell. Campbell was a a Baptist preacher, a civil rights activist, and an author. He was ordained when he was a teenager and grew up during the Great Depression in the rural south in Mississippi. He writes about seeing the indignity suffered by blacks in the Jim Crow area, and so he dedicated nearly his entire adult life to bringing it to an end, first as a chaplain at the University of Mississippi, and then later as a staffer for the National Council of Churches. Campbell was the only white person present when Dr. King founded the Southern Christian Leadership Conference in 1957, and he earned the trust of black organizers, many of whom were unsure of his presence at the time. 
He writes about all of this in his book, Brother to a Dragonfly, which I think is one of the best spiritual memoirs of the 20th century. He talks about rushing to the Lorraine Motel after hearing the news of Dr. King's assassination. He talks about going to the 16th Street Baptist Church in Birmingham to comfort the families of the four young black girls killed in that 1963 bombing working to reconcile all people together was his life's work. And that work took an interesting turn when he decided to begin ministering to racists and bigots and members of the KKK, drawing great criticism from conservatives and liberals, blacks and whites alike. He was, as his fellow activist and friend Bernard Lafayette coined him, the civil rights chaplain for the KKK. And Campbell took on that uncomfortable role because he said, Mr. Jesus died for the bigots as well. Campbell understood in a deep and in a powerful way that the only way for one of us to thrive and prosper is for all of us to thrive and prosper. And so he worked his entire life to bring people together, to reconcile us one to another, to remind us that we are stronger and better when we are united than when we are broken, splintered, and literally throwing bombs at each other. Oh, that we had more Will Campbells alive in the world today. Jesus says to us today, the Sabbath was made for humankind and not humankind for the Sabbath. What he was saying was that our nature is to not stop, to not rest. Our nature is to hit back when someone hits us. But when we are intentional about Sabbath, when we make time to stop, when we make time to rest, to be about life, then we draw ourselves and our world closer to the way of love, to the way of Jesus, to the very kingdom of God. May we each make time for that sacred work in our lives today. Amen.